This week on Medical Minefield, Rachel Lancaster, founder of Menopause Information Group Meno Clarity. Many women do feel suicidal, but it's not always menopause to blame. When the hormones start to fluctuate, it can heighten issues that are already there. And consultant gynaecologist Dr. Jennifer Gunter. I'm not aware of any data to support the use of higher than recommended doses of hormones for suicide. And I think that if somebody is doing that as their practice, they should be able to provide data to support that. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, is the menopause so horrific that it drives some women to take their own lives? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, please do tweet us at MedMinefield. Just to highlight, this week we will be talking about suicide. So trigger warning, we'll be approaching this in a sensitive and serious way. But there may be some content that listeners may find upsetting. Right. So, Eve, the reason that we are talking about this this week is slightly related to an investigation that we ran a few weeks back into the prescribing practices of Dr. Louise Newson, mm. a very high profile menopause expert and GP who exclusively treats menopausal women at her clinic, Newson Health. Mm. And there's lots of doctors who work there. But other experts had approached us with concerns about the prescribing practices of Dr. Newson, in particular that she advocates the prescribing of very high doses of certain types of HRT, estrogen HRT in Mm. particular, to some women. And she does this because they're experiencing particularly terrible symptoms. But what kind of symptoms are they? She justifies this in part by explaining that uh, some women suffer terrible psychological symptoms during the menopause and that these women respond well to higher doses of oestrogen HRT, that, that that's what they need. And in fact, that treatment works where all other treatments have failed. So some of these women may have been given antidepressants. She, she's talked openly about a patient that was prescribed ketamine for Gosh. her depression before she was given HRT, presumably, which then resolved the situation. I've heard lots of women say this before, that they go to their doctor and they use it as a sort of way of explaining how GPs maybe don't understand about the menopause because they'll just get given a, a prescription for antidepressants and no one will bring up the menopause. And these women say... Well, I should have been. Yes. So, in fact, to just rewind slightly, there was some concern about this high high dose prescribing practice. We were approached by experts who said that it was risky to do this, Mm. that it is done in exceptional circumstances. But in fact, we were told that Newson Health prescribes high doses to one in five patients, which considering they have 4,000 patients a month, is quite a lot of women. Mm, mm. To answer your question, 
There is some research that suggests that women are being offered antidepressants when they have low mood during the menopause. There was guidance produced a number of years ago, nice guidance, official guidance for prescribers, for doctors, that recommended against giving antidepressants routinely to women suffering what they term low mood during the menopause. And do we know that this low mood is as a result of the menopause? Well, that's a really interesting question. So the menopause and perimenopause, the, the preamble to the menopause, mm. one or two symptoms can occur without other ones. So women don't realise quite what's happening because it, it can occur from any time beyond the age of about 40. Uh, it's not so easy to unpick mm-hmm. that the answer to that because things that the, the perimenopause and menopause causes include things like insomnia and hot flushes. So If these kinds of symptoms, if insomnia and hot flushes and people talk about brain fog as well, if these things become an issue, then low mood naturally would be experienced. But I've read that there's some research to suggest that a lack of oestrogen is linked to... Yes, but that's not to say that that both things couldn't be happening at the same time. Mm. And also, I guess, in this situation and what we're talking about today, it's not experiencing a little bit of low mood that you know may come and go for most people we're talking about something quite extreme we're talking about potentially taking your own life yes and and this issue of a very severe mental health problem is something that's come up on numerous occasions so dr newson spoke about this as a reason for her approach and her feeling that there is a need to treat some women with these higher doses and interestingly just after our investigation was published, Dr. Newson did an interview with another newspaper in which she spoke alongside a woman who had suffered worsening mental health problems throughout her 40s. And I think she'd been given antidepressants, but they did nothing. And eventually she was prescribed HRT and that did help. In fact, in the piece, it said that what she needed was a high dose of oestrogen. And in that piece, Dr. Newson said that a lot of women attending her clinic have very negative, intrusive thoughts that mean they feel like they'd be better off not being here. Mm. So, you know, it would lead you to believe that there is quite a significant risk of suicide for women in, in the menopause. And that's the ultimate worry, I guess. You know, if, if we don't treat menopausal women in the way that they should be treated, ultimately what's going to happen yeah. is that the most tragic outcome. The first time I really became aware of this was at the beginning of last year during reporting of the HRT shortages. And a lot of the headlines were relating to women at risk of suicide if they couldn't get hold of HRT. So one of them said, women left suicidal amid HRT supply shortage as menopause ruins their life. Another said, HRT life and death crisis. And there's always been something that's confused me so some campaigners were quoted saying, and, and this is more than one campaigner, and people, these people have tens of thousands of followers, saying things in newspapers such as the most common age for a woman to take her own life is between about the ages of 45 and 55. It's no coincidence that that is when the menopause happens. Mm. But is it? I mean, what, you know, can you say, I mean, I presume by saying it's no coincidence you're saying one thing causes the other. One thing causes the other. But can you determine cause and effect? There was a another strange side story that I saw that that claimed that that 
suicides in middle-aged women were rising. And in fact, I spoke to the ONS about this and they said that was not true. Mm. And this was reported on uh, news channels quite widely. And, you know, these, these things seem to kind of go into the ether and then, and then become facts. Mm. In fact, the rising cases of suicides, sadly, in women are among women aged under 24. Obviously, they're not going through the menopause either. There has been a lot of research into what does cause this phenomenon of, of midlife suicide. And the strongest indicator is socioeconomic, in fact, that debt and unemployment are key factors, along with the pressures of midlife, such as having to care for children and elderly parents. All these things mount in middle age, and sadly some people do take their own lives. It was shown very clearly by the ONS, because when you look at the midlife suicide rate in the least deprived areas and the most deprived areas, there's almost a double difference. That's not to do with hormones, is it? No, it's to do with the situation that a person is in. You have to take great care when talking about these things. It's been well observed that talking about suicide in a, I'm going to say, reckless way, mm. and I'm not suggesting that, that Dr Newsom did this in any way at all, but that sort of rhetoric could be seen by a vulnerable person and it, it could worsen their psychological state. Yeah. To say if women can't get HRT, they're going to kill themselves over and over again, you know, there could be a negative consequence to that. I mean, we know so much about self-fulfilling prophecies, don't we? And well, again, the power of expectation. It's, it's shown in studies that women who worry more about how bad the menopause is going mm. to be do suffer worse symptoms. Mm. So there is that too. And I know this as somebody who has experienced anxiety. The minute you think about how, what it might be like to experience anxiety suddenly you're in it and you're experiencing anxiety mm, so i imagine mm. it's similar but to go back to what we were talking about before mental health problems are extremely common throughout life women are much more likely than men to suffer from things like depression um so you know and and we know that that women who have problems with depression and anxiety are more likely much more likely to suffer from them during the menopause as well mm. And in these cases, the NICE guidance does permit the prescription of antidepressants. Mm. So, so sometimes you might read the antidepressants don't work for menopausal women. But in fact, that's not true. There's, there's very good evidence. And it is in official guidance, a treatment for depression, because depression is depression in the menopause I was going to well. say, I, I imagine the efficacy is, is similar to that in all age groups. I think before we go any further... Let's hear from someone who has thought a lot about this because she works with menopausal women and writes about the menopause and encourages dialogue online. On the line now, we have Rachel Lancaster, founder of the menopause information group Meno Clarity. Rachel, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. We're discussing today the topic of severe mental health problems, such severe mental health problems that they could cause suicidal feelings in women who are going through the menopause. Is it a big concern? What, in your experience, is this risk of suicide for women in the menopause? It's such a big and difficult question, that It is so multifaceted. And I know that many women do feel suicidal and it, it can be a real risk for women in this time of life. But I would suggest that it's not always menopause to blame. 
because there's so much else going on in midlife. And menopause, when the hormones start to fluctuate, it can really heighten issues that are already there. So, for example, if you've been depressed previously in your life, you may be at greater risk of experiencing depression, which can lead to suicidal feelings, if you then have no support or you have also bought into negative narratives about menopause, that this is the end of your meaningful life. So there are so many things going on. There's ageism kicking in. There may be redundancy or the risk of redundancy. There's empty nests for women. There's looking after elderly parents. We know that in the time span of menopause, so 45 to 54, we know that that is the highest peak for suicide amongst women in the UK. But it's also the highest peak for men. And for men, it's three times as high as for women. And they're not going through menopause. So it is an issue. It is something we need to talk about and address. But I don't want it to be something that then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, that we give women this idea that, you know, they're going to be at risk of suicide when they're going through menopause. Because that's taking it too far. That's Letting the pendulum swing too far. This is an issue for some women, but it's not an issue for all women. Rachel, do women who take HRT and are feeling very low, does it tend to help? For many women, it does help, yes. And this is where often the doctors in the past have got it wrong because women have presented with depression. They haven't been considered as being in perimenopause and therefore they've been given antidepressants. And now we have a much broader understanding of the issues that are going on. And I think first line should be HRT. But HRT is a complicated drug to prescribe. It's usually, for most women, at least two different drugs, the estrogen and progesterone. And it, it has to be tweaked. You, you can't say HRT for this woman and this woman, it will be exactly the same because it won't be. And often women have to go back several times to get it right. So. Yes, it is definitely something to be tried, but we can't just then increase it if it doesn't work because some women have actually had their depression exacerbated by the HRT itself. So, it, you know, we've got to be really careful about how much is prescribed, when it's prescribed, what else is going on. Menopause is a time when all the chickens come home to roost. And if we have got unresolved issues in our life, if we've got trauma that we've never dealt with, then the sensitive period of menopause, when the hormones are going all over the place, when we are transforming, then all of these things can come to the surface. But that can be scary. And if we're scared, anxiety gets worse, anxiety feeds into depression, and then we can feel very isolated and alone. So there's so much going on. Rachel, I know that, that you went through an earlier than usual menopause, didn't you? Yes, I did. You said you'd suffered from depression in your 20s, and did you find that returned? Well, it did initially, but there were two reasons for that. One was that it had destroyed my fertility dreams of having another child. So I had to deal with that. There was a lot of grief around that. But also, my own internalised ageism was what caught me out. Because I had subscribed to the narrative that I was a dried-up old prude, that menopause was something that happens to old 
women, and I was only 41 at the time, I didn't know anything about what it meant at all for me. So the depression that came in there, you know, there were two other reasons. It wasn't because my hormones were going doolally necessarily. There were other things going on. And I do think that the way we as a Western society approach menopause and the messages we give to women about covering up all the visible signs of aging. Go walk into a card shop in the UK and you look at the cards from like 30 up, you know, oh, you might as well have fun now because it's all downhill from here. It's just so depressing. Whereas actually, I think we get better and better with age. I don't see us reaching this sort of, you know, pinnacle of midlife menopause and then whoosh, it's all downhill from there. But we've been taught that. Do you worry about the scaremongering that might be going on? I do, because particularly with mental health, it's very easy to give somebody an idea that then becomes their reality. Women are being given these scary facts and figures out of context, whereas I went and looked at the context. Then when I'd explored all of the context, I sent my research over to the Samaritans, and they said, we know that suicide is complex and is rarely the result of one thing. And it's important that we don't oversimplify the reasons why somebody might take their life, as it can impact vulnerable people. You know, if you think about what happens to some women when they're just given birth, postnatal depression is a really big thing. When our hormones are fluctuating, we are at greater risk of certain things. We need to take care of ourselves. But fear doesn't feed into health. The menopause is being debated quite a lot on social media at the moment. There are some quite heightened emotions around the way in which various people are talking about it. What would you say is the way forward? You know, what would bring women together? You're right. It has got quite nasty out there. As we're moving away from the binary in so many aspects of our lives, menopause seems to become very binary. It's either you take a medical HRT route or you take a natural route. It's not binary. You know, there's a lot of grey. Anybody that is taking HRT needs to also look after their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise, how they manage their stress, etc. And anybody that's doing the lifestyle and it's not working, then try the HRT. You know, I think we need to be curious. We need to take a step back and take a deep breath and think, what do we want to achieve here? We want women's health to be prioritised. We want women to have all the information they need. We want women to be empowered. So each bit of information you see and each bit of narrative that you hear, are those achieving those aims of women's health being prioritised, of women being empowered to have control over our health? We're not victims as we go through menopause. So I think stay curious. Don't assume that if somebody's got a different view, they are dismissing you. But I'm curious. I want to understand why people are saying certain things and where research comes from. Women deserve better. Rachel, thanks so much for finding some time to talk to us. Thank you for having me on. I thought that was a really good summary from Rachel Lancaster there. What do we want to achieve for women's health, mm. which is, is the big goal? And, and, and you know, it's, it is our motivation too, because, you know, we spend all day long 
writing about health and talking about health and thinking about it Mm -hmm. and and yes it's our job but it's very much vocation for us as well and we're very keen on trying to improve public health messaging Mm. and making sure people have clarity on what issues actually mean you know I think there does need to be that joint thinking even if people disagree and before our article came out in fact we spent weeks in consultation with Dr Newson's team Mm. trying to get the message right because obviously I was sort of a middleman between concerned medical experts with with one view and an experienced private practitioner with a differing view in terms of what optimal treatment is for women. And all of them want the same thing, don't they? They all want to improve women's health. And in fact, you know, we first came into contact with Louise Newson many, many years ago because she was working terribly hard to improve the situation for women who would go to their GP and, you know, as has been said, just given a prescription for antidepressants when in fact... The menopause wasn't even mentioned. The menopause isn't even mentioned or asked about and they were almost dismissed. And, and, you know, that really was going on. And and I think Dr Louise Newson has done a great deal in that respect. Well, it's about balance, isn't it? Because I know that there's some doctors who say that the pendulum is slightly swinging too far in the other direction in that we're creating this message that the menopause is going to be terrible and awful and that everyone should be prepared to face awful symptoms. Exactly. Whereas, you know, for a lot of women, they don't experience menopausal symptoms at all. Or if they do, they don't really affect them. And, and, And as Rachel said, HRT is not going to fix whole life problems Mm. anyway. So even if you're hoping for that, you may find yourself very disappointed. Mm. Now, before we go any further, let's talk to a brilliant doctor who knows all about this subject. On the line now, we have consultant gynecologist, Dr. Jennifer Gunter, author of bestsellers, The Vagina Bible and The Menopause Manifesto. Dr. Gunter, thank you very much for finding time to talk to us today. We're having a discussion about the very serious subject of the menopause and whether or not it significantly increases the risk of severe depression and and suicide in some women. Do you often hear of or see patients who are uh, suffering such severe symptoms of the menopause that they are contemplating taking their own lives? Typically, where I practice, if somebody is having suicidal thoughts, they wouldn't be seeing me. So I would be directing them to a mental health provider to provide them the care that they would need. We do know that the risk of having a major depressive disorder is about twice as high during the menopause transition and the first few years after menopause. And the closer you get to menopause, kind of the the risk rises. And we also know that when people have menopause early, primary ovarian insufficiency, so before the age of 40, the risk is also significantly higher of depression. So there definitely is a link between depression and the hormonal changes. What kind of risk factors are there for developing these problems? There are a couple of risk factors that come into play. So having a history of depression before, family history of depression, upsetting life events, and bad, what we call vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes. So those are risk factors. But Obviously, people can develop it who don't have those risk factors, and people can have those risk factors who don't. But you can, you know, understand how something like hot flashes might have an impact. And if you're not 
sleeping well at night, that, that obviously could have an impact on mood and tolerance. And so, you know, we all want easy answers to things, I think, but, but the answer is just really complex and people are individuals. How a medical guidance suggests that for women who suffer low mood during the menopause, that they should be prescribed HRT. So, so presumably that would be a scenario that, that you would be involved in. Uh, but can you tell me the kind of triage situation you'd be in between, say, saying, yes, I'll, I'll treat this patient with HRT to I think that this patient needs a referral to a psychiatrist, for instance? Yeah, so the screening form that we use in the United States is something called the PHQ-9. It's a questionnaire that tells us if somebody has depression or if it's mild or if it's severe. And so we get everybody to fill that form out at the beginning. And then I also pay attention to see if somebody's already seeing a mental health provider, right? We do say that, that hormones can be used to treat low mood. And the problem with that term is that it doesn't really have a good definition, right? Like we have a good definition of severe depression. I can say it's the score on the PHQ-9. And so, you know, low mood might be equivalent to maybe mild depression, you know, on that form. And maybe some people with moderate depression, sort of depending on how the form is filled out. And so, you know, there are lots of things that can contribute to low mood. And so there are a couple of studies that suggest that a transdermal estradiol up to a dose of 100 micrograms patch could be useful for people who have low mood. The data is not great. And so it's not in the United States, it's not an FDA approved indication, but it would not be unreasonable to try, right? So so based on the data. And so if I have somebody who has a low mood and, you know, especially if they have other symptoms of menopause, I would absolutely talk with them about hormones and we would do a three-month trial, see if their symptoms improved or not. If I had somebody who has low mood who also is also on maybe a couple of other antidepressants, you know, I'm also going to talk with their mental health provider as well because they should know if there's a change as well. If someone wasn't already on antidepressants, you know, would they be given alongside the HRT or in, instead of, or how does that work? Well, so this is one of those things that there isn't like a if A, then B definite answer. But I would say that if you have somebody who scores in the severe depression range or, you know, has ticked off that they have, you know, thoughts of suicide, this is somebody who you would not treat with hormones alone. This is somebody who you want to engage, somebody who is an expert in mental health. But somebody who has severe depression, we would not treat those people with estrogen alone. Now, they may get both. I mean, if you have someone who comes in and they're, they've got severe depression and they're really struggling with hot flashes and night sweats and things like that, you might say, well, it may be very reasonable for us to get you started on hormones, but I also you know, want to get you involved with the people who, who are the people who should be helping you with your severe depression. Dr. Gunter, do you think that there is a problem or do you have any concerns about this sort of rhetoric that seems to be on social media that the menopause is driving some women to take their own lives and that without HRT, they're, they're doomed, essentially? Well, we do know that depression is more likely to happen in the menopause transition and in the first few years after menopause. And there is a little bit of data that also, you know, links a higher prevalence of suicidal thoughts in this time, which would make sense, right? Because major depression, people can have suicidal thoughts as part of that. We don't have data to say that this is because of a lack of hormones. I think it's important that, that people realize that 
for some people with mild depression, maybe even mild to moderate, that hormones can be very helpful. But that for people who have severe depression, hormones are not the sole treatment for that. Could there be any downside to the approach of giving very high doses of HRT to tackle these mental health symptoms? There's no data that I'm aware of to give doses higher than what I mentioned to treat mental health issues in menopause. So the studies that looked specifically at treating depression in the menopause transition with hormones use the high end of the licensed dose. I always like to remind people that the high end of the licensed dose is the average level of estrogen that you would have in your body before menopause. So it wouldn't make sense to treat that with super high doses, right? So I'm not aware of any data that says that higher than the licensed doses of menopausal hormone therapy are indicated to treat depression or suicide. And I would love to see that data. Yes. I mean, the reason that, that I'm asking this is that we recently ran a report looking into the prescribing practices of a, of a major private menopause clinic in the UK, Newson Health. Their lead clinician, Dr. Louise Newson, had said to other doctors working for her that well, she wanted to encourage them to give some women who were experiencing these intrusive suicidal thoughts very high doses, so double the licensed dose, so 200 microgram patch she was mentioning. I mean, would you have concerns about that? Uh, you know, I, I could not imagine a scenario where I would do that. We have very good data on hormone doses, and there is no data that I'm aware of to back up using double the high end of a licensed dose. And I think the British Menopause Society is, has also reaffirmed that for you locally, because obviously guidelines are a little bit different country to country for a variety of reasons. So, no, I mean, if, if I have somebody with suicidal ideation, I, I'm not treating them with hormones. I'm calling their mental health provider to, to ask for help for them to make sure that they're getting the right care. But I'm not aware of any data to support the use of these higher than recommended doses of hormones for suicide. And I think that if somebody is doing that as their practice, they should be able to provide data to support that. I, I would like to see those studies. Yes. Well, I think that's a very good point. Dr. Jennifer Gunther, thank you very much for finding some time to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me. Eve earlier told me that she had been feeling very, very tired. tired. Eve, do you think it's your hormones? I think it probably is my hormones. Maybe I've got super early menopause. But, you know, it strikes me that men of a certain age might chuckle. I don't know if they listen to this podcast. You know, you would never say to a woman who was feeling a certain way, oh, it's probably your hormones. Well, some people would. Well, some people would, wouldn't they? I don't think you're supposed to. I think that we've evolved slightly from the days of saying that all of women's problems are linked to their hormones. But have we kind of gone back there? I'm not sure if we've gone back there. I think that it's, unfortunately, we live in an age where a personal brand is so important and a lot of in the sort of medical sphere a lot of so-called influencers or influential voices who may have books that they're writing or things that they really want to say have to almost take a stance in in either direction and they have to be quite strong with that in order to yeah i mean well, make we know an impact. all about that 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, being content creators, um, yeah. we know the things that do well. And I think that this culture has given a sort of platform to perhaps experts who are quite binary in their thinking and maybe subtly pushes them into one way of thinking rather than being slightly more balanced because balance doesn't do well on the internet you know balance doesn't necessarily make you successful because the messages are boring mm. so there's more and more pressure to come up with something that's unique i guess I, but i see i i have read dr louise newson's most recent book and i would say it is an incredibly holistic guide mm. that has i think there's one chapter on hrt but there's there's so much else there well there's a reason why she's incredibly popular she speaks to people, mm. women relate to her, they feel that her message is one that is digestible and easy to read and, you know, sympathetic. But there is obviously this other thing going on when it comes to real life patients. Mm. We're seeing a, a, a type of practice that perhaps has not been seen for some years, perhaps. Mm. And I guess all, the best that we can do is try and keep on reporting as openly as possible. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't think anyone wants a scenario where women stop taking medication that they need. Mm. But what they don't want is for people to be given medication they perhaps don't need or could potentially uh, increase their risks. I wonder if this extreme using a threat that's so extreme like women will ultimately such severe depression they see no way out and you know feel that they have to kill themselves mm. i wonder if it is based on this panic that women's health issues are not taken seriously after decades and decades of nobody really paying much attention to or people women's being health told problems, it's all in their head or being told that they're hysterical and it's just yeah. anxiety or whatever that people who are advocating for women and women's health issues feel that they have to level quite an extreme end scenario in order to get people's attention. I don't know whether that's conscious or unconscious, but I wonder if that plays a role. If we, you know, if we don't say something that's going to panic people, no one's going to listen. This was something that did come up in some of the social media comments that there wasn't enough research. This wouldn't happen if it was a, an area of men's mm. health. I think that that in this respect is perhaps slightly unjustified because, you know, three quarters of all suicides are men and, and that situation isn't fully understood. But absolutely, I completely see see your point. I think a lot of women, especially these days, are very, very interested in their health. And so may, maybe read a lot online or absorb a lot of things that their friends talk about. And so they do think that they have quite a good idea about their body. And in, in a lot of cases, they do and they're right. But I think in a lot of cases, they're not quite right. And I know from speaking to doctors that they get quite frustrated that patients might be kind of saying, oh, I know this is the problem, but actually they're wrong. So I, I think there's a bit of kind of doctor-patient conflict going on with the wealth of information out there. I think it's important to get on, on YouTube because that seems to be the only thing that half the people in, in my life uh, listen to. We'll do some kind of series of articles, you know, debunking some kind of myth. And, um, you know, six months later, a friend of mine will turn around and say, did you know? Yeah, well, with my friends, <laughs> did you it's, know? it's TikTok. And, and they'll see yeah. something on YouTube or TikTok, like say, yeah. you know, it'll be exactly the same thing that we wrote about. Because so. someone slipped it in the conversation during their get ready with me for a night out with my boyfriend video. Yeah. <laughs> well, th there you go. We, we should uh, regroup, just become TikTok influencers. Then people might listen. I spent enough time on it, to be honest. Eve. Sorry. it's. Uh, I think it's ruining my brain. Well, no wonder you're tired. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
And that is all we have time for. You can read all about this and all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.